This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 14? If you are visiting, we're super glad that you're here. Again, in a, in a city like this, where God is doing so much amazing stuff in our community and so many churches, we don't take it lightly that you would come and hang out with us for a day. We're so grateful for that. Um, if you're visiting for the first time today, we have been on a journey through the book of Revelation. Um, we believe that Revelation is not a hard book to understand. If you take it in the chronological order in which it was written, believe that God meant what he said. It is a book that people avoid because they're scared of it, but it's the only book in the Bible that comes with its promise of a blessing for those who read it and keep it. So no wonder everybody would be scared of it because Satan would want us to be scared of it. But as we're at this point in the journey... Um, for this day anyway, I'm just going to do, there's just five verses that jumped way out at me as I was praying and preparing for this week. And it's verses one through five of chapter 14 of Revelation. Midway through, here we're in the the tribulation period that Jesus himself said was going to come. And there's this moment where it says, verse 1, that I look. This is John. There before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Do you remember last week we talked about that the number 666, the number of man marked on their head? It was simply an idea was that whatever you worship, you are going to be marked by. You are marked by what you worship. And these clearly were worshiping the lamb marked by him. Verse 2, and I heard the sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they were virgins. And I just somehow zipped all the way to the bottom of that. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from God among mankind, offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They were blameless. Let's pray. That's God's word. Oh, Jesus, when we encounter your word, it is my prayer, our prayer, that the word of God would be the word to us today, that it would speak to us. Lord, if you want to speak to somebody without me, I pray that they shut me out and just get their pen out and start listening to you. It's much more important that we hear your word today. And I pray that it'll be real, alive, active, and give us absolute wisdom in what we need to accomplish in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Has it been a weird year for anybody else? I'm just asking. (laughs) Let me ask a different question. Let's fast forward 10 years from now. Okay. Now, maybe in 10 years, 
the kingdom of God has been restored on earth, that Jesus has returned and restored all things to the way that they're meant to be. Maybe. Maybe we're back on another ride on the crazy train for the presidential election. Maybe. I don't know what will be in 10 years, but here's what I want to ask you. Looking back on this time where we are right now, okay, pandemic happening, I mean, all over the world, crazy economic crisis, political division in a way that I've never seen before, lies being sold as truth, evil being called good. Look back at this point in history at yourself and ask yourself, who do I wish I would have been in this moment? Uh, Who do I wish that I would have been now? And then... Why not go be that person? You see, there is coming a moment we're all going to be in the future and we're going to be looking back. There are those who say, oh, it's going to come back to normal. It always does. It always, you know, yada, yada. Maybe. I love it when I hear somebody say, well, history teaches us the stock market you average 10% a year over 70, whatever, you know, every year, year. Here's the problem with that. That's not what history teaches us. That's what the last 75 years teach us. That's not history. History teaches us that great nations rise and great nations fall. History teaches us that great powers arise and great powers here. and That's what history teaches us. We don't know where we are in this point in history, but what we do know is that who we are right now, we have an opportunity to choose who we're going to be at a time like this. Let me ask it one different way. Who do you want to be? Who would you like your children to have seen you to be 10 years from now? Because I believe that right now the body of Christ, the, the, the Holy Spirit is calling men and women of God to rise up and be who he has created us to be. Come hell or high water, damn the consequences, stand for who it is that he wants us to be. I think that's what he wants from us right now. That's great, Darren. How do I do that? <laughs> I'm going to share a story with you. I hope you guys don't get tired of these stories. I sure don't. This is family. Jaina, is this family 41 or 40? 41. The 41st family that has been freed from a brick kiln in Southeast Asia because of you. But I want to share this story because it's, I'm going to share a story of a guy that I'm going to call, I guess, Albert. Is that what we decided we're calling him? Um, by the way, Jana is in charge of all of our social media for uh, Conduit Mission. We have to change the names. So if you want a jockey to have your name be used for one of the names as a replacement name, just email that to Jana at conduitmission.org. <laughs> this is Albert. <laughs> okay, Albert's 33. His wife is 31 years old. They have four children, nine, seven, four, and two. Married in 2010 Albert used to work in uh, one of the garment factories as a line supervisor. It's actually a decent gig in that part of the world. Uh, But his boss was a corrupt man, asked him to help cheat the factory owner. When he refused, he's a Christian man, when he refused, he was fired. At that point, they had one baby and his wife was pregnant. He actually was not able to find another job, did all sorts of day labor, but it wasn't enough to meet their needs. So a family member not Dave Ramsey, suggested they take a loan from the brick kiln owner. Unfortunately, Albert took his advice and they became enslaved in March 
2013. I don't want to assume everybody knows this, but if you're new, in this part of the world, this is like a payday loan. But if you don't make your payment, they don't come and get your sea due. They come and get you and your wife and your children. And now you are imprisoned and making a dollar a day and you will never pay it off. You are there forever. 4.5 million people live like that right now in just this country alone. After that, he's in the kiln, 2013, a Molana, which is a Muslim religious scholar, began visiting the kiln. Albert's family is the only Christian family living in this imprisoned kiln. The Milana shared stories from the Quran with him. He told, uh, Albert told the Milana clearly that I'm a Christian and I'm not going to go any other way. The Milana then stirred up trouble against him in the kiln. He's now been beaten twice, and this beating like beaten, beaten. His family wasn't permitted to take water from the local pump, so they had to find water in other areas. None of the shops in the area would sell food to them. Does this sound familiar, by the way? The beast that would rise from the sea, and you can't buy or sell or trade. This is a, there's nothing new under the sun. This is the, the enemy, right? The, the familiar spirits you hear about throughout history. That's part of the way the enemy attacks Christians. They also cut off the electricity to their home, and we use the word home extremely loosely. These are like little shacks and shanties that are part of the prison. They have little electric hooked up to it. They cut it off, saying to them, if you will convert to Islam, we'll turn it back on. Now imagine, he's got four littles, just to have some heat in the winter, just to have something to cook on a hot plate, just to, and how tempting would it have been? But he said this, he cried, but he said, I prefer to die than to ever, ever leave Jesus. By the way, his debt was uh, 203,700 rupees. That's a 1,200 bucks. 300 bucks is what was needed to move the household supplies. 50 bucks for a wire fee, total of $1,580. And uh, as of yesterday, yeah, he's free and his family. That's their contract. I shared that story very specifically with you because when I look back 10 years to today, I want to be Albert in this environment. I want to be somebody who said, I, I would never leave Jesus. I don't care if I can't buy or sell. I don't care if I'm going to be ostracized and marginalized and socially looked down upon. I want to be faithful to Jesus. And I think most of us in this room would say the same thing. When trials hit us, and I'm not talking like, you know, sometimes you can talk about trials in like ethereal ways. I'm talking like right where we are right now. The powers that be in Hollywood, the powers that be in legacy media, the powers that be in most of every corner of politics right now, the ones that have the voice and the microphone, want to shut you and me all the way up. It's no longer a conversation where we can have a conversation. It is now, if you don't fall in line with this, then you are ostracized and marginalized. We're going to delete you from our social media platforms. We're going to shut you up. That's the world that we find ourselves in right now. This is not ethereal. This is real. And yet, who do I want to be in 10 years? Looking back. 
When tribulation like this comes, the, the word in the scripture often is the word fire, when fire comes. Like that's what happened here. There's the fire, these 144,000 that we just read about. Fire had come and was cooking them and the, the temptation to, to turn around. And, and by the way, Revelation 7 is where we first encountered these 144,000. Here we are, seven chapters later, and there is not 143,999. There's not even 143,999 and a half. 144,000. Because God was able to keep them. And I want to show you here why I think God was able to keep them. What they learned and what we can learn in how we live in this environment that we are in right now. I'm going to take you through this as quickly as I can. There's six of these things, so I'm going to machine gun them. I encourage you to write them down, and then I encourage you to go back and to let the Lord speak to you clearly as, as we go through each one of these. Because when I look at these 144,000, the first thing I want to say is this. Don't get a new list, okay? I'm not looking for you to have this new list of ways to do this. If you were to go to a Christian bookstore, you'd be forgiven for thinking that God solves every problem in 10 easy steps, right? Like 10 steps to this or five steps for that. And it's, the, the Holy Spirit is way more complex and way more creative than that. And at the same time, there's principles that you see when are happening in somebody's life that if I see that and live this way, that this is what carried them through this great tribulation. It carried them through to where they didn't burn out, but they burned bright. When Jesus said, you're the light of the world, you understand it wasn't LED lighting he was talking about, right? Did any of your kids make their, turn their bedrooms into like LED, like little strips of light everywhere? Are my kids the only ones that did that? Right, okay, breathe love back there. I mean, don't you feel like the only thing you need really is like a Pink Floyd song and an inflatable pig floating through the middle of it and you just complete with that? Like, that's not the light that we're talking about. He said you're a light, a city on a hill, a light. It was fire. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5. Speaking of fire, that was light. And when the fire comes, if you have the choice to burn bright or to burn out. And if you think about it throughout history, throughout maybe your own life, you've experienced it with others around you, that you've seen that happen. That it hits the fan and there are those who have burned bright in the middle of that trial and there are those who, you know what, I'm questioning my faith now. I'm walking away from this. I'm going to go on Instagram and tell everybody why I'm an atheist now and deconstructed my faith. And it all comes down to when the fire came, did they burn bright or did they burn out? This is what the 144,000, he explains it. Maybe John laid it out like this prophetically and poetically because he was writing to a group of Christians in AD 96 experiencing the exact same thing persecuted. You can't buy or sell. You have to declare that Caesar is Lord. If you don't, you're ostracized. And actually, we have it pretty easy. Sometimes back then, they would crucify them in crazy and contorted ways. And if they would only say yes to following Caesar and that Caesar is Lord. So how did they avoid that? Number one, they had the Father on their mind. Verse one, I looked and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him, the 144,000. And what does it say? Had the name, his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. 
what was on the foreheads of those who worshipped the beast and economic and Babylon and was the number of man, but on their foreheads, written on their foreheads, was Jesus, was the Father. That was what was on their minds. Whatever is on our minds right now is what is controlling the narrative of our lives. If I'm worshiping power, if I'm worshiping sex, if I'm worshiping money, if I'm worshiping politics, hello, then that's what's on my mind. And what does the Bible tell us? Isaiah 26, 3. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If your mind right now is freaking out about what's going on in Washington, D.C., and by the way, it's, it's good to be concerned, good to pray. I'm not suggesting that at all. But you know the difference. Don't you know when you've crossed the line? If you don't, ask somebody. They'll, they'll help you. I would say it maybe a little differently. To the degree which my mind is on the Father is to the degree to which I'm going to be experiencing peace in my life. To, the, to that degree to which I've got my mind on the Father and on the gospel, to that degree there's going to be peace in my mind. And from that peace, then we can speak truth. From that peace, we can speak, which is the next thing it says, authority in their voices. If that's on my mind and the Father's on my mind, then authority in their voices is exactly what is going to happen in our lives. Verse 2, I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of uh, rushing waters, which is the imagery of Jesus from chapter one, like a loud peal of thunder. And then I heard uh, the sound was like that of harpists playing their harps. What a strange way to describe something. Thunder, the roar of rushing water. How many of you guys went with, in Uganda, is anybody in this room, uh, Cody, Jana? Right there, yeah. When you're standing at the top of Murchison Falls, right, this giant waterfall that literally feels like God has flushed a toilet, just, whoa! That's rushing waters. Simultaneously thunder, and oh, by the way, but somehow that all sounded beautiful like a harp. What a strange way to describe something. The imagery is beautiful. It's profound. The voice of rushing water is Jesus, right? Like we just saw in chapter one, the voice of Jesus. The voice of harps, right? Is uh, Old Testament, when you see harps, there's how many strings on a harp? There's 10 strings on a harp. How many uh, commandments in the law? There were 10 commandments in the law. In thunder, when you see thunder, there is judgment. Now, all three of those separately, if I'm speaking with authority, because that's the sound of the voice, if I'm speaking with just thunder and judgment, it's incomplete. If I'm speaking with just, right, the, of the rushing waters, incomplete, Speaking with just the Ten Commandments and the law, incomplete. But when that is all synthesized together, which where did justice and mercy and all that and judgment come together? On the cross, it's no longer a terrible, terrifying sound. It's beautiful because it's the sound of forgiveness. It's the sound of completion. And it is the sound that we speak with when we speak the truth in love. It's when we speak the gospel. We speak, hey, this is true, but Jesus died for your sins. We synthesize all that together. That is the sound of authority in our voices. 
never, in my lifetime, has there been a point where it's been more important for us young people, old people, halfway in between people to speak up about the truth. There's a, a, a segment of society that I don't think they're the majority, but they certainly are the loudest. There's a segment that may not be the majority, but they control the microphone right now. And they would like us to shut up. And I would say that 10 years from now, what I want to look back on is a church full of people that didn't shut up, that spoke the truth in love at whatever expense. We spoke it with authority. We spoke the 10 commandments as the 10 strings on a harp. Have you ever watched a guy play guitar and it breaks the string, right? I mean, you, you can still do it, but it ain't going to sound as good. All 10 of them. Jesus came and fulfilled all the law. All, he didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. It's the gospel all in that one thing. Let's speak that way. We're not speaking against anybody. We're speaking in favor of Jesus and the truth. And then it says that there was a song on their lips, sang a new song before the Lord, the four living creatures. No one else could sing this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. What a strange thing to say, that no one else could sing it. Was it in a language they didn't understand? The idea is not that. The idea of couldn't learn it was that they didn't know it because they didn't live it. When you, th when you talk about songs that have been written by people that have gone through something very specifically, that's their song because they lived it, they experienced it. No one else can sing it. Do you remember the scene in the Mercy Me movie? Is that what we call it nowadays, the Mercy Me movie? I can only imagine. When that scene, which I don't know, who knows whether it was true, Amy Grant says, oh, this is your song, Bart, you must sing the song. It was it made for a great scene in the movie. But that's the idea. This is the song that only this 144,000 could sing because only they knew, only they experienced this. This was something you could hear it, but you wouldn't understand it because it hadn't been your story. Everybody in this room, there is a song, literal metaphor that is in you that is your song because it's your song of redemption. It's the song of how Jesus has saved you. Others could sing it, but they can't know it because it wasn't yours. It wasn't theirs. When the idea of Jesus says he's going to give you a name that only you know, that's the same idea. You've been a story being written about your life right now with our Savior. That is your story, your song, your name. There was a song in their lips and then the fourth one, holiness in their walk. Verse four, they are those who did not defile themselves with women for they remained virgins. Now, understand, let the Bible interpret the Bible here. A man, like a husband and a wife in a sexual relationship is not defiling, okay? This is speaking of something completely different. The Bible is very clear about that. But what this is speaking of is a purity, both sexually, both morally, that in, this, in our lives, I think in our modern times, holiness has lost the narrative. That we have looked the other way in ways that God has said, hey, be holy as I am holy. And some of that because maybe you heard the fire and brimstone sermons. Maybe you heard, you know, the sinners in the hands of an angry God, or, or I don't know, maybe you burned your CDs back in 1989. Did anybody do that? 
Some of us, Scotty, Morgan, did you burn any of yours? I did. And then I had to buy them back when I got to Bible college. Good news was is they were pawn shops by then, so you could pick them up for like five bucks. But <laughs> if that's your imagery of holiness, then I could see why that would be frustrating to you and why that would, you'd run away from that. But that's not biblical holiness. Biblical holiness is, this is how you were designed to be. God defines you. God designs you. And when I live in that holiness, my life actually goes better. I mean, I'm just spitballing here for those of you that have been married for a while. And you just make the phone call to your wife and say, hey, what if, what if we get a little more adventurous in our marriage? How is that going to end, right? Poorly, and some of you know that from experience. Nobody in third service, of course. Second service. But, <laughs> but God designed us in a specific way for holiness to live in a certain way, not because he's a giant buzzkill, but because he knows that's how you were designed. I had a conversation with my uh, 18-year-old daughter uh, not long ago, and, and she was kind of bent out of shape because my 15-year-old son had been hanging out with a, a, a girl that was a little bit uh, older, which we were like, wait, wait, what's happening? You know, um, And it was nothing like a drive here to work, or school or whatever and back. It was like no big thing, but I'll tell you this much. My 18-year-old, who like a lot of 18-year-olds, is questioning whether this is right or this moral is this or that or the other. But let me tell you what, that moral suddenly, that was a deal breaker for her. I can't believe. Like she was incensed by this. And I was like, you know, so, you know, sounds to me like, Lauren, you have drawn the line somewhere. There has to be a line somewhere, so you just chose that line. And God's saying, you can pick all the lines you want to, and you're going to drive yourself crazy and drive yourself mad. But hey, here are some boundaries right here. Here are some borders. And when you live this way, your life is going to be so much better. Holiness is a picture of completeness. That's right. The word whole, it's completeness together. When you live in holiness, your life is going to be better. Now, why is it important right now because in a world where holiness is gone, where the seams of society are pulling apart, what we need now more than ever are a group of Christians who have decided that we are not going to live that way so that when this falls apart, there is a rock that they can see, a standard that they can go back and say, but why is it working for them? Something, what did he say? See your good works right, and glorify God, they will be drawn to that. We need that more than ever in our world. Holiness is something we have to go back and revisit in our lives. And holiness, if it's just me white-knuckling it, is going to be completely impossible because it says the fifth one, they have the lamb in their sight. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind. Lots of images of Jesus in Revelation. There's the one with the sword coming out of his mouth, right? The one with his clothes soaked in blood. There's all kinds of images of Jesus coming back and open up the can of whoop God, right? That is a part of who Jesus is. But what keeps you holy is not keeping your eye on that Jesus, that, that image, that aspect, but on this aspect, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. That's the Jesus that keeps us holy because he paid the price for us. His salvation that he purchased for us, that holiness is now attainable because of what he did for you and for I. 
And then the last thing I'm going to say is this. There was a sweetness, not in her mouth, but sweetness in our mouth. (laughs) You tell us right now, you preach. There was a sweetness in their mouth. And what do I mean by that? That in the last verse, they offered his first fruits to God and the lamb. He had purchased them. And there was no lie found in their mouths. They are blameless. You and I are fruit. The, the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus spoke of in John 15. And for us, in the fruit that we are creating, we are attached to the vine, who is the fruit for? Song of Solomon tells us that the fruit was not for you, but the fruit was for Jesus. When we live that way in the, in, in the fruit of the Spirit, attached to the vine, that we taste pretty doggone good to God. It tastes sweet. And in that, even in our own mouths, then no lies, right? Blameless. And everybody in this room is thinking maybe the same thing. Well, that sucks because I've lied and I'm not blameless. And I'm, let me tell you the idea that he is evoking here. And I want you to hear this. The idea is not that you become blameless and without sin in this, but that he, it says in Jude Verse 24, you can write it down and go there later. To him who is able to keep you from falling, and listen, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. If your goal is to present yourself to him, right, as fruit, to present yourself, then that is you saying, I'm going to earn my way into heaven. That is not the way that it works because there will never be a good enough version of you that earns your way in. No, he says, I'm going to present you faultless. That's why the lamb, keeping the lamb in our sight is important. And this last thing is this. He says, though, the verse part of that verse that a lot of us skip right over is to him who is able to keep you from falling. Don't white-knuckle your walk with Christ. I mean, think about how that goes, right? Never going to do that again, starting right now. Okay, tomorrow, start now again. Tomorrow, I'm never going to do that again, starting next week. Okay, I'm going to live a little large today, but next week I'm going to do this. What if you just trusted that Jesus who commanded you to live this way, actually then gives you the power to live this way. And your prayer is that. Right now, positionally, you're faultless. You're a member of his family. My son is a member of my family. He does really smart things and he does really dumb things because he's a son. And neither one of those evict him from my family because he is faultless. He is a Tyler. Okay, you are a brother, a sister of Jesus, a child of God, positionally, you're already there. And now this idea is that he can then also keep you from falling in your walk. Not by you white-knuckling it, but by you staying on your knees and empowering through him. Somebody like that, somebody with the Father on their mind, with authority in their voice and with a new song right on their lips. Somebody with the lamb in their sight 
everywhere they go, song, the sweetness in their mouth. Doesn't that sound like somebody you'd want to have been today, looking back 10 years from now? And the last thing is, look, you might not be that, and you might think, well, I have blown it, so I'm already completely out. Wouldn't you have wanted to be the one that said today that I repented and I'm starting over right now? I'm just giving it to him. Wouldn't that be a good thing to do? Today you started. We're one day closer. The world needs us. Jesus has called us and anointed us. By the way, he doesn't love you any less if you say no, just so you know that. (laughs) There are no guarantees for a trophy just because you did what was right. But there is the guarantee that you'll sleep at night. There's the guarantee that you'll be able to look your children in the eye and say, I did everything I knew to do. You'll be able to look your Savior in the eye and say, I put it all on you. And to hear him say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. Isn't that who we want to be? I hope so. Because we need an army of Holy Ghost-filled, fearless Jesus people burning bright from every hill in this town, in this country, in this world. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, would you give us the courage to say yes? Would you give us the humility to recognize that we don't do it without you? Would you give us, Lord, the the community to surround us, to inspire us. And Father, starting even right now, could we be in a place where we do look back from 10 years and say, that is exactly who I wanted to be. Not shrinking back, not cowering in fear, not being quiet when I should speak. Lord, would you give us that courage that starting right now that that's who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.